Thanks for clicking play on the East Lake Tri-Cities Talks podcast. If you're new to this, we're trying to be the best church option for people in the Tri-Cities who aren't typically into church. We hope today's talk inspires you to take next steps in doing life in the way Jesus modeled and taught. If you're ever interested in being a part of one of our in-person gatherings, they take place every Sunday at the Uptown Theater in Richland. Check the website for current times. And regardless of what you look like, who you voted for, or where your tattoos are, we'd love to have you. But for now, here's our most recent talk. That was an awkward silence. (laughs) It's good to be here. Uh, This is a little outpost of the kingdom. Uh, Think about that. We gather on Sunday mornings uh, to reset our compasses to true north, remind ourselves what reality is, that the almighty God rules through Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that charges us up and gives us perspective as we go about daily life uh, for the rest of the week. Think about this, that there are churches gathered all around the world in every conceivable location and in every conceivable kind of setting. Some are worshiping in huge cathedrals and others are sitting under a tree somewhere. And they're all worshiping the same God, often in much the same way. Do you realize that uh, Christians right now are worshiping God in over 3,000 different languages? So we're kind of the minority here, English speakers, but we're all turning to the same God. Well, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ through uh, the power of the Holy Spirit. It's really a privilege to be with you today. Um, I'm going to read the text, actually several texts in a few moments, but first I want to introduce you to the unusual topic that we're going to be exploring today. Uh, This is the season of Lent. Some of you come from liturgical backgrounds. That's a fancy word from saying you've grown up in the church. And it's the kind of church that talks about not just Christmas, but Advent. And not just uh, Good Friday and Easter Sunday, but Lent. And they use words like Ash Wednesday and Maundy Thursday and so on. All that fancy language. The the church uh, actually went through a fairly long process of Christianizing the calendar. You know, they, uh, the Christianity was born in the ancient Roman world, and uh, they inherited a pagan calendar, and they wanted to Christianize it. And they did it by uh, isolating certain events that reflected a Christian understanding of, of history. So Christmas, for example, or Lent and Advent and Easter and so on and so forth. Uh, But there's one particular day that the vast majority of Christians around the world do not observe, even though it goes way back to the second century, and it's called Holy Saturday. Holy Saturday occurs between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, and that's what we're going to look at today. So this is going to be kind of new information to you. Uh, I'll add only this, that in early Christianity, they began to observe Holy Saturday as early as the second century. So this is really early in the history of the church. And they would uh, fast on that particular day and go through other, follow other rituals. And then people who were going to be baptized would be baptized on the (laughs) evening of Holy Saturday. So they'd be plunged into the waters of baptism as if dying to their old life and then raised up sort of on the first part of Easter Sunday morning to the new life they had in Christ. 
I love that, that rich symbolism. Well, on occasion, we use a phrase uh, that underscores the significance of one particular day. We say that the day before that eventful day was one way, uh, the day after was another way because of the significance of, uh, of that in-between event between those two days. It refers to a very big day between two days or periods of time that uh, embody kind of a, an emotional response. So let me give you some examples of that. We say <clears throat> we felt nervous the day before the wedding, relieved the day after, assuming that we married wisely. <clears throat> Likewise, we say we felt fear the day before the big championship game. We felt deep disappointment the day after if we lost or elation if we won that game. We felt excitement the day before the retirement party and perhaps uh, lostness the day after as we began to contemplate what retirement would look like. So the truly eventful day, the wedding, the championship game, the retirement party, was the day in between. You got that? The day in between. That day held center stage. The other days pointed forward toward it or looked back on it. Now, I want to suggest to you that a day of suffering changes that sequence. Suffering suspends us between two eventful days or periods of time, two realities, a past that can't be changed and a future that is not yet known. It's an in-between space of uncertainty, sorrow, brokenness, but also of expectation and hope. At least we hope it's hopeful, though we can't really be sure because we're not there yet, which makes it really hard. So we've entered, as I said before, the season of Lent, which begins with Ash Wednesday. It's an odd phrase, Ash Wednesday. You know, fire refines gold, but fire burns wood, turning it into ash. So in the Christian worldview, ash symbolizes sin and mortality. Ash Wednesday reminds us that all of us here are destined to die. We're fallen. We're fragile. We won't, we can't live forever. So many churches around the world observe Ash Wednesday and, and Palm Sunday, which is today. We're kind of skipping that because we don't worship on Saturday at all, Holy Saturday. And uh, of course, Holy Week that culminates in Good Friday and Easter Sunday. But few observe Holy Saturday, this ultimate in-between time the day after and the day before. Now, here is a text from Scripture that uh, <clears throat> underscores the very tail end of the last events of Jesus' life on Good Friday. Now, all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell some version of this story. It's Jesus' death 
and what immediately follows, all having to do with Good Friday. So listen carefully and notice the richness of the detail in this account. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, crying with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. When the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God and said, Certainly this man was innocent. And when all the crowds who had gathered there for this spectacle saw what had taken place, they returned home beating their breasts. It was so traumatic to them, you know. But all his acquaintances, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now, <clears throat> there was a good and righteous man named Joseph, who, though a member of the council, that is the Sanhedrin, the Council of Seventy, the, a body that kind of ruled the Jewish people, he had, uh, had not agreed to their plan in action. He came from the Jewish town of Arimathea, and he was waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, parenthetical comment, the vast majority of people who died by crucifixion around the Roman world were thrown into an open pit so the animals could feed on their carcasses after they died. So the fact that Jesus was actually buried in a tomb uh, was very unusual and underscored the, the dignity of his life and some of the people who followed him. He asked for the body of Jesus, then he took it down, wrapped it in a linen cloth, and laid it in a rock-hewn tomb where no one had been laid before. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. Jews, by the way, observed Sabbath from sundown to sundown, so Friday at around 6 o'clock to Saturday around 6 o'clock. Women who had come with him from Galilee followed and they saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments when they returned to take care of the body on Sunday. <clears throat> now, all four Gospels, as I said, tell some version of this story. For example, they all describe the burial of Jesus, which Joseph of Arimathea arranged. He was a Jew. He was a member of the Jewish council highly respected, the text tells us, a good and righteous man who was longing for the coming of the kingdom of God. And as it turned out, Joseph was a silent disciple of Jesus. So he approaches Pilate, a ruthless man who worked for Rome. The text uses the modifier, or one of the texts uses the modifier, courageously approach Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus so that he could give it a proper burial before sundown, which marked the beginning of the Jewish Sabbath. So this is Friday, late in the afternoon. <clears throat> Pilate checked with the soldiers to see if Jesus was really dead, and they confirmed it. Anybody know here how they checked to see if Jesus was dead? 
What'd they do? They used a spear and pierced his side. If he was still alive, what would happen? Blood. If he was dead, what would happen? Water. So they confirmed it. Pilate gave uh, Joseph permission. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in fresh burial cloths, and put it in a tomb that had been never used before. Nicodemus, another text tells us, a Pharisee who had on an earlier occasion approached Jesus and asked him some questions, quiet at night where he could be private, <clears throat> approached, uh, uh, also assisted Joseph. Nicodemus, as it turned out, was also a silent disciple of Jesus. Well, several women who had known Jesus for several years uh, had come from Galilee. Uh, among them, Mary Magdalene were with him, and so they too knew where Jesus was buried. Now, this is all we know about the tail end of Good Friday. Holy Saturday followed that eventful day. Of course, the disciples had no idea what was to occur on the day after. Isn't that right? They didn't know about the resurrection. They hadn't experienced it yet. We have a huge advantage over, over them because they, we know about the story and its ending, and they didn't. So they were traveling blind, have, living only with the knowledge of this day before. Now, the Gospels mention only two events about this in-between day, this Holy Saturday. One text says that a few female followers of Jesus rested, as Jews always did. They had hurriedly prepared Jesus' body for burial. They hoped to visit the tomb the next day, what we now call Sunday, uh, to continue their ritual of mourning. The other text recounts that leaders of the Jewish Sanhedrin asked Pilate <clears throat> to roll a heavy stone over the mouth of the, of the tomb and post guards so that the followers of Jesus could not steal his body. Jesus had caused enough trouble as it was in their minds. A missing body would only cause more. Now, there's one other text uh, that reflects the spirit of this in-between day. Luke 24 tells the story of two disciples. We know only one of their names, Cleopas. Two disciples walking to Emmaus early on a Sunday morning. Emmaus was a village some miles from Jerusalem. A stranger joins them as they're walking. As it turns out, this stranger is Jesus, but they didn't know who it was. And this stranger asks them why they're so sad. They respond with incredulity because the stranger seems to be the only person who doesn't know anything about the events that had just occurred about Jesus' crucifixion. We thought he was the one to redeem Israel, they said. But Jesus had failed, or so they thought. Holy Saturday is the day that forces us to live suspended between two realities. It is the day after Good Friday, one of the most tragic days in all of world, in fact, the most tragic day in all of world history. I mean, human beings, the Roman government and Jewish council put to death the Son of God. 
and the day before Easter Sunday, the most remarkable day in all of human history, which is why we call Good Friday Good Friday. Holy Saturday is that in-between day. The disciples witnessed Jesus' execution, but they had not yet experienced his resurrection. I think it's time we claim the significance of that day. And there's one reason why. Most of us spend long periods of time living in that same kind of suspension. A day after something and a day before something. In between. So the day after we sign divorce papers. The day after we receive a diagnosis of cancer. The day after we lose a job. The day after a child leaves home and not under good terms. The day after we experience some kind of trauma. But the day before, something else might happen that changes the entire plot of the story. Though we have no idea what it might be or whether it will happen at all. It's this in-between time day after, the day before. Now, what about the disciples? Step out of your own experience and try to get inside their head. We know that they went into hiding because they were afraid for their very lives. They were concerned that what happened to Jesus would happen to them too and that they too would be crucified. We know that they had just witnessed the brutal execution of the man that they believed was the Messiah. They felt the weight of shattered dreams. We thought he was going to be the one to redeem Israel, they said. They expected the Messiah to be a charismatic leader. Jesus was certainly that. They also expected him to be a conquering hero, and he was not that. Imagine how they felt when they saw him die at the hands of the Romans who were geniuses at inventing exotic and torturous forms of execution. They believed that he was the Messiah. His death proved them wrong. End of story. At least that's what they thought. Terrified. Profoundly sad. Uncertain. We can hardly blame them is how we often feel suspended as we are between a past we can't change and a future we don't know. Holy Saturday invites us into silence. It invites us to mourn our losses. It invites us to face our fears and uncertainty. But it also invites us to wait for the surprises and opportunities awaiting us, though we have no idea what they might be. Can we count on anything? Can we really hope in the light of catastrophic and irreversible disappointment? As the psalmist writes, for God alone my soul waits in silence. I've had such an experience. Now, it's admittedly a little dramatic, but it symbolizes what all of us experience in some way. 
I lost uh, my first wife, Linda, and a child and my mother in a terrible accident 30 years ago. It was a long, long time ago. Drunken driving accident. We were all together. Um, uh, so I had three children with me, and, or four, and three survived with me. About an hour after the uh, chaotic scene of the accident, an emergency vehicle transported me and my three surviving children, children to a medical center about another hour away. So it was a long distance, very rural setting for this accident. My son, John, then two, was badly injured. My other two children, eight and six, uh, were battered but uh, not injured seriously. Well, the EMTs in this emergency vehicle were smart enough not to say a word. So imagine one hour of total silence before we arrived at the hospital. That was a holy Saturday. An hour of silence. If the accident was my Good Friday and the redemptive story we eventually lived out my Easter Sunday, that hour in the emergency vehicle, that was my holy Saturday. I was suspended between a horrible trauma and an uncertain future. It ended up being one of the most powerful experiences of my life. You could sell a similar story of some kind, I'm sure. Like me, you probably spent a lot of time in some kind of Holy Saturday, in in-between time of darkness and uncertainty. Holy Saturday reminds us that however true and perfect Christ's redemptive work we still suffer. The suffering of Holy Saturday is like winter. The death of fall gives way to the decay of winter, but spring turns that decay into fertile soil for the new life soon to emerge, but we're not there yet. Jesus died. Jesus was resurrected. But there's a moment between the two that is full of bleakness, confusion, and pain. Holy Saturday marks that day. That's why the church has observed it for so, so very long. Now listen to this psalm in light of this information I provided about Holy Saturday. Note the use of the verb tenses, if you listen carefully. Past, present, future. The present tense in this psalm communicates darkness and uncertainty. There's reason to mourn, but there's also cause for hope if we're willing to wait and watch and pray. And it's a beautiful psalm, by the way. It's gorgeous poetry. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so longs my soul for thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me continually, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I went with the throng and led them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Notice he's remembering now. He's looking at the past. He's speaking in past tense. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? 
hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you, back to past again. From the land of Herden, Jordan, and of Hermon, from Mount Miser, deep calls to deep at the thunder of thy cataracts, all thy waves and thy billows have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast light, night, uh, love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I walk about mournfully because of the enemy, uh, the enemy oppresses me? As with a deadly wound in my body, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me continually, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my help and my God. How oh, this is a fitting psalm for those of us who see Holy Saturday uh, is an important day. The virtue that is most appropriate for Holy Saturday is hope. For as Paul writes, we hope for what we can't see because we're not there yet. The psalmist struggles because evil holds sway and God seems distant to him. His enemies are taunting him, mocking him, speaking cynically or asking cynically, where is your God? The psalmist longs for God like a, beer, a deer panting for water. He wants to see the face of God. He's looking for signs of God's presence in the world. But he finds and sees nothing. He's living in Holy Saturday. But he does not fall into despair. Instead, he lives in hope. He remembers the great festivals of his people, which remind him of God's actions, faithfulness in the past. He considers the power of nature, which reminds him of God's creative power. He pours out his heart to God, expressing his sorrow and disappointment and doubt. But he keeps turning toward God. He keeps living in hope. Now, I'm speaking the obvious here when I say we need such hope right now. We're all living in Holy Saturday. The virus has ravaged the, the world. Church attendance has dropped dramatically. And there's not been the big surge which everyone was expecting. The economy is suffering from high inflation. And I just think about what I paid for gas in the last couple of weeks. Our country is divided. People are turning against each other with nastiness. We're all aware of it. Sometimes we even participate in it. Russia is blowing up Ukraine. Putin has no end game except more destruction. He wants to win at any cost. We feel isolated and uncertain. We've joined the disciples in the upper room. Totally Saturday. And Jesus does not seem to be showing up. Can you expect more than merely to survive? I think so, though it won't be easy. You can or we can and should mourn, but also look for moments of joy. We can and should feel anger, 
but also move toward kindness and forgiveness. We can and should feel the full weight of calamity and confusion, but also look for clarity and peace. I officiated at my great nephew's memorial service just two months ago. He was 19 years old, 19. <clears throat> he actually started Whitworth uh, 18 months ago, fall of 2020. Uh, he came to play football at Whitworth. Got a big pain in his leg. The coach sent him to get an MRI. Turned out to be osteosarcoma, bone cancer, which often afflicts young men. Four, four weeks later, lost his one leg mid-thigh. Went through eight months of torturous chemotherapy. Then had a brief re, uh, reprieve. And then cancer spread the lungs and then through his whole body. He knew he was going to die for about six weeks. Um, his dying showed us how to live because he died, however painfully and horribly, beautifully in its own way. At his memorial service, we shared stories of a kind of beauty that emerged in this young man's life like sunlight through thick clouds. There it is right there, just this one incident, a suspension of Holy Saturday, sorrow, joy, terror, and beauty, suffering, and hope all mixed together. Isn't that how life is? So we wait. Hope in God, the psalmist says, for I shall again praise him, my help in my God. God is still here. God is still at work. Sometimes we can't just see it, but we do see the face of Jesus Christ. We live on the other side of Easter, folks. We can feel the full weight of Friday and call it Good Friday because we know how the story turned out. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. So even in our Holy Saturdays, we can have hope because we know how it all turns out. We hope because Jesus Christ has conquered sin, hate, fanaticism, racism, nationalism, violence, even death and hell, and he accomplished that by dying to it all and then being raised from the dead. We can trust Jesus Christ because we know that after Friday comes Sunday, even if we're living in Holy Saturday. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, amen. God bless you. Thanks again for listening. If you've got more questions about the church or community group options for connecting with East Lakers outside of Sunday mornings, I'd encourage you to check out our website, eastlaketricities.com, or better yet, download our app by searching East Lake Tri-Cities in your favorite app store.